Welcome to Religiously Literate. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jay. Join us as we explore the diversity of religious belief around the world. Thank you so much for joining us today for the season one finale of Religiously Literate. Can't believe you made it. We did it. I cannot. We started from the bottom and and now now we are here. Um, it's been a long time coming, a lot longer than we thought. Just- yeah, we planned to be done at the beginning of December. <laughs> no, October. Like, we should be done in October. October. Oh, God. Yeah, things happened. We are going to take a break. Grad school's crazy. Uh, after this releases, we're going to take a little bit of a break. But we'll be recording, so when we come back, we will have a regular schedule. That- and we've got cool episodes for season two. Yes, I'm so that's true. So, uh, if you can just bear with us for a little longer, we will be back. But... Enough about the future. Let's talk about today. So today we are going to be doing a different episode. We thought we've been telling you a lot about different traditions, giving you some background, all these things. But we thought it'd be cool to let's do a numbers episode. And so we're not going to talk about numbers specifically, but we're going to talk about 10 things. And today, and that'll kind of be how we close our seasons. Um, Today, we're going to talk about 10 religious sites in Israel. Which is exciting because if you've gotten this far, that means that you just listened to our episode on Judaism where we talk about the community of Israel. But we're going to be talking about Israel, the country here. So let's talk about some places. Do you want to go first or do you want me to start off? What should we do? You're starting off. I can start off because I want to talk about this concept that I learned about that is interesting and neither of us knew about. This is true. Um, Tell me something new. So if you're listening to our podcast... um, with any sort of regularity. Hopefully you've listened to the Judaism episode and hopefully you've listened to the Islam episode. And you've probably noticed that some of these, um, that at least in those, in the case of those two religions, that some of their sites and some of the people that we're talking about are in the same parts of the world. Um, and not even just like broadly in terms of the Middle East or the Levant, but in terms of like Jerusalem and places in and around Jerusalem or what people refer to as quote unquote, the Holy land. And so since we decided to talk about those sites, I was doing my research and combing through things and looking at all these different sites that I've never been to. Okay, so first of all, Jay has been to a majority of these places. Um, So as it's been a running joke this whole season that Jay's been everywhere. Yeah, it's not stopping now. (laughs) It's not true, but (laughs) it is so true, but fine. Okay. (laughs) So um, while I was doing this research, I actually ran into this concept called the status quo. And it was coming up in site after site after site. And I was like, okay, I have to go find out what the heck this thing is. And so... What it is basically is this sort of agreement among different religious groups that share these certain sites. And we're going to talk about some of them below, um, basically so that they can share and not like beat each other up, which actually they do. Um, But um, essentially, it's just like this idea that we will maintain the quote unquote status quo for each of these traditions that everyone will get to use these sites Um, or these specific sites, because it's not every site that we're going to talk about. It's nine specific sites that I will list. Um, But that everyone gets to use these in accordance with their traditions. Um, And this first sort of came into existence back in the 1700s. So this has been around for quite some time. Um, But it was never actually officially established in terms of like legal doctrine or anything like that. It's sort of this 
kind of unofficial agreement between a bunch of different um, religious groups. Although there are, there's a book that came out in 1929 that sort of summarizes how it works. It kind of seems to me like it was kind of an ethnography, um, which is kind of interesting to me um, as an anthropologist, but um, it's sort of out. That's about as official as it gets. Um, And that book has now kind of taken on this sort of authority um, in terms of maintaining the status quo. Um, and so most it involves Christian, Jewish, and Muslim groups and sites. But from my reading, it seems to be that it was most it was established primarily to make sure that Christian groups that are sharing certain Christian sites aren't beating each other up or aren't like trying to kick each other out of these locations. Um, because some of these sites, at least contemporarily, have monasteries from multiple different traditions. So you'll have like Orthodox and uh, Greek Orthodox and Roman Catholic monasteries at the same site. And they'll be sharing these locations and sharing and not just sharing in like the practical sort of praying at these sites, but also like sharing in the maintenance and upkeep of these locations. But it also can uh, manifest in terms of like different spaces with insights being utilized by certain members of certain communities. So certain sites may have like an area where the Roman Catholics go and a certain area where the Greek Orthodox folks go and things like that. But it is still pretty contentious um, because as I was doing my research for this and ending up down this rabbit hole, I found reports from as recently as 2008 of monks getting into like broom battles with each other over like sweeping certain parts of these sites. And um, I also saw some other um, articles, I think it was from 2011, that was talking about sort of like legitimate brawls that happen between monks over like respecting their prayers and respecting their time in these holy locations, which I thought was just insanely interesting um, because I had never run into this before. Um, And so The sites, I guess I should probably tell you what sites fall under the status quo. Um, It includes nine sites, um, some of which we're going to talk about, but not all of them. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which we will talk about. The Tomb of the Virgin Mary. The Church of the Nativity, also something we'll talk about. The Chapel of the Milk Grotto, which I had to look this one up. This is actually the site where the Holy Family is believed to have sought refuge during the Massacre of the Innocents by King Herod. Um, And then the Chapel of the Shepherd's Field, which is another place I had to look up, which is according to the Catholic tradition where angels first announced the birth of Christ. Um, And this location, if I remember correctly, um, or no, actually that's the next one. Um, And then it's the chapel of the Ascension, which this is a site. This is the site of Jesus's Ascension on the Mount of Olives. It also includes a stone slab that, that has a footprint that is supposedly from Jesus when he ascended to heaven after the resurrection. And the reason that this site is sort of con- is included in this is that location on the Mount of Olives has changed hands a couple of times. And so at some point it was under Christian rule, then it became under Muslim rule and there's a mosque built on the site now. And so this sort of sharing has to take place there. And then also the Western wall, which we will talk about. And then last is Rachel's tomb. So this is the burial site of Rachel. She's one of Jacob's wife or Jacob's wives. Um, and she is the son, uh, or the son, she is the mother of Joseph and Benjamin. So. Okay. That's the status quo. Cool. You want to talk about some sites? 
Let's do it. Would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? Um, I just did a bunch of talking, so you can go okay. first and I'll jump in. When so I have the first one is the Dome of the Rock, which <clears throat> I've been to. We'll just put that out there now. Uh, <laughs> so this is believed to be the site of Muhammad's night ascension, or journey and ascension, where he traveled from Mecca to Jerusalem and then ascended to meet the prophets all in one night, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it stands on the site of the first and second Jewish temples. And so it's the Temple Mount. This is a shrine, not a mosque. And the way that it's set up is that non-Muslims can go inside of the shrine. So I haven't been inside of it. I've only been on the outside of it. But there's a pretty large area and kind of, oh, I don't know. It's not a porch, but like a... They call it a plaza. Yes, a plaza. The, like area you can, around it. You can hang out in. And so there's like the, the building itself, which is a shrine you can't go into. And then there is these the, the large plaza. And then on one side of the plaza, there are these, um, they're called gates, but they're large pillars, basically. And it's they're stone pillars and they like two next to each other. And there's one across the top. So they look like doors, but they're called the gates. And it's believed that Muslims, that these are the gates in which you will pass through on your way to heaven. So those are there as well. Uh, it was built in the seventh century by an early Islamic dynasty. And it's an octagon that's similar to the Byzantine churches. So obviously the influence of Byzantine empire here, <clears throat> it's built over a rock called the foundation stone. And, um, Again, it marks the site where Muhammad ascended for Muslims. For Jews, it marks the site where the creation began and where Abraham almost, but not quite, sacrificed Isaac. <laughs> <Close. JK. laughs> and it's the location of the holy of the holies in the Jewish temple. And then under and then under it is this under the stone, so the foundation stone, is the is a grotto with the Maghrib indicating the direction of Mecca. Before we go on, we should probably talk about what the Holy of Holies is, uh, because I don't think we talked about that in the last episode. Sure. And so, so in case you wanted to know all of the fun things that we wanted to talk about in Judaism last episode, we're going to talk about them now. Yeah. <laughs> so the temple was, this is sort of the basic, this is going to be a really quick and dirty version. And this is the this. second temple, not the first temple. Correct. This is the second temple. Thank you. Um, the temple was built as a sort of set of concentric areas, so to speak. And all of these areas were, you you couldn't, only certain people could go into certain areas, if that makes sense. And the center of this area was the Holy of Holies. And this is the location where the high priest could go. And essentially it was, that was where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. Um, and that was like believed to be the place where the high priest would directly communicate with God. Um, And so that becomes important in terms of Jewish interpretation of the Dome of the Rock later. But that's what the Holy of Holies is. It's where they kept the temple or where they kept the Ark of the Covenant and where only the highest priests could go. So the, it's called, it's a large dome, it's called the Dome of the Rock. You may notice it as the big golden thing. And that's because the dome itself is plated in gold, but that, wasn't added until the nineteen until nineteen sixty four, and the last renovations were sponsored by the King of Jordan. Uh, so there is a lot of political strife around this site. Uh, as I mentioned, non-Muslims are typically not allowed into the dome, but you can enter the plaza. And 
there's restricted things that you can do there. It's still considered the same rules that you would have if you went to a mosque. So all women have to cover their hair before they go in. You have to wear modest clothing while you're in the plaza. Well, the whole like Temple Mount in general, you have to be modest because the Wailing Wall is like right outside of this. So um, that's just a given. And then some rabbis discourage Jews from visiting so that they don't accidentally go into the Holy of Holies. Um, there's a sign right before you get on the, because you walk around and then you walk up a bridge, I guess is the best way of describing it. And right there at the bridge is a sign that says, you know, if you are Jewish, do not go further than this. And it kind of talks about it. So that is the the Dome of the Rock. And, also one thing about, yeah, um, one thing about the restrictions in the plaza too, I was finding in some of my research that I was talking about too, that some of it is like religious restriction. So yeah. um, like Jewish folks are not allowed to pray up there. Christian folks are not allowed to pray up right. there. Um, so, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. So that, and is, I guess that that's like a lot that a lot of the palace, there's a lot going on with the Israel Palestine conflict, but part of it is also the control of the dome of the rock or the temple Mount, I guess rather. Yeah. Because if you live in Palestine, you, that does not grant you access into Israel. It's actually very hard for Palestinians to get into Israel. So the people who are, there are, if you're Palestine living in Palestine, there are Palestinian Israelis who can travel freely between the two. But if you were like born in the West Bank or Gaza, like you're not getting out of Gaza. If you were born in the West Bank, you it's very difficult to get into Israel. So I remember when I was in the West Bank, I, one of my professors was saying how his entire life, the one thing that he has wanted to do is go and pray. Because there is a mosque like right outside of the temple compound, like right next to it. So from that mosque, you can see the temple mount um he's like the one thing that i want to do is pray at that mosque and go to the temple mount but because i'm palestinian i'm not allowed to so it's it's intense but that is site number one no it's not i got one more thing okay <laughs> sorry <laughs> um there's also some jewish groups um that are have issues with the Dome of the Rock and like the sort of temple there itself because they believe that the third temple should be constructed. And so this is one of these groups is called the Temple Institute, um, which believes that they should be building the third temple there. Yeah. So there is uh, a lot of in order to go to the Dome of the Rock, you have to go through a security check because there have been Jews who are trying to blow it up for that yeah. reason. So you you don't have to do that for the mm, don't hold me to on the Wailing Wall. But you do have to go, that's part of it. You have to go through a security check when you get to that, when you cross that bridge to, in order to go into Temple Mount, you have to go through like middle detectors and stuff because very radical Jews have tried to blow it up, which no one wants because if that blows up, then that is World War Three. Every Muslim nation yeah, is coming to bad. Israel. So um, that's definitely not what Israel wants in any way, shape or form. Okay, now I'm done. Okay, so that was site number one. Site number two, Church of the Holy Sepulcher. Do you have anything about the Church of the Holy Sepulcher? I can tell you what the Church of the Holy Sepulcher is. Have you been there? I have been there. Of course you've been there. <laughs> <laughs> so the Church of the Holy Sepulcher is like, not really right down the street, but it's not very far from the Temple Mount. It's not far. It's in the Christian quarter. Right. So it's... 
Um, I mean, the old city is not massive. I would say it's probably about a um, five to ten minute walk away, if that. Okay, so yeah, it's pretty close. Yeah. Um. So you've got five to ten minutes away. You've got the Dome of the Rock, which is important, and then for which is important for Jews and Muslims, and then five to ten minutes down the street. You've got the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, which is the church that has the location where uh, or is built around the location of Jesus's tomb. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's I mean, that's what I've got for the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. I mean, well, actually, I I have a little bit more. Um, There's actually a really interesting um, if you have Disney Plus, (laughs) there is a really interesting documentary on Disney Plus that's through National Geographic. that is about the restoration of the church of the Holy Sepulcher because inside of the church is, I guess I have more to say than I thought I did. Um, the, uh, inside the church is sort of, I don't even know how to describe it. Like the, the structure that's around the actual tomb. What would you call that? Um, a cage. Okay. Well, it's not really a cage though. It's like stone. I guess there's like a I'm thinking of the gate there like is a gate that can be locked so oh I'm talking about like the whole like thing oh um yeah I don't know how to describe that it's a building okay yeah there's like a building within the building if that makes sense and inside of the building within the building it's like a matryoshka doll okay it's like a Russian nesting doll folks (laughs) inside of that building is the tomb itself and this um documentary is all about how they had to, how that structure was actually buckling. And so they had to take it apart um, or not really take it apart, but restore it and reinforce it. And they actually opened the tomb for the first time ever. Oh, Um, wow. And so, yeah, that's got like, goes through all of this, like all these art historians and art restoration folks and archeologists and all sorts of like religious leaders and things like that, getting involved in the process. It was real cool. Um, okay, so the Church of the Holy Sepulcher clearly houses uh, Jesus's tomb. One uh, really cool fact is that for centuries now, there is one Muslim family they they wouldn't give the so there's a key to unlock the building, and oh, this is that's right, very I medieval about type key. And so there's a Muslim family who has for centuries like that has been their role is every morning they go at like five in the morning and unlock it, and then they go at sunset and lock it, and so that no Christian community could have favor with the building. That's why they gave it to a, a Muslim family. So someone comes and unlocks it and it's open all day. And as soon as you walk in, there is this big marble slab. And that is supposedly the slab where when Jesus, after Jesus died on the cross, they removed his body, placed him on the slab. And well, it probably wasn't a slab. It might've just been the ground, but they washed his body on this. And so that's the first thing that you see. If you go to the left, you can see the the tomb and there are lots of candles and stuff. I don't remember if you can go in it or not. There is a gate. I don't remember if you can go in it. There are a lot of people when I was, I've been there a couple of times. So the two times, two or three times I was there, there are people. So I don't recall if you can actually go in it. Cause I just kind of like stood around and then walked around. But it's, if you go to the right, there are uh, three crosses and that's supposed to kind of, I don't believe that is where Jesus was on the cross but it's supposed to symbolize that and there may be some artifacts from that spot and then you can go around and walk around in the church and there are lots of uh, icons which are images that 
are on not real wood or stone, but they're paintings. Oftentimes you'll find them in Catholic churches, particularly um, like Greek Orthodox is famous for this. Uh, so those are like all over the place and you, you can just walk around and it's, I don't believe it's not an active church, but there are lots of church like elements there. And there are multiple floors that you can walk through and there's different artwork and stuff. But the main things are the, the slab and the tomb, which are all on the first floor. So that's site number two. Okay. Oh, I guess we should mention, sorry, that we're in Jerusalem. So the Dome of the Rock is in Jerusalem and mm, the yeah. Old City. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre is in Old City of Jerusalem in the Christian Quarter. And then our third site is also in Jerusalem in the Old City, back in the Jewish Quarter. And that site is the Western Wall, or otherwise known as the Wailing Wall. Um, and this is a wall of the Temple Mount. So if you're, we'll put some pictures and links and stuff in the show notes so you can get kind of your bearings. But basically you have the temp, the Dome of the Rock on the top of the Temple Mount. And this is the Western wall of the Temple Mount. And this is the only remaining wall from the second temple that was destroyed by the Romans um, in 70 CE. And so this is considered probably like the holiest site in Judaism um, and visitors come to this site um, and offer prayers. Um, a common, there's a common practice to like write down prayers on paper and fold them up and put them in between the stones on the wall. Um, I also learned that people will, um, that certain groups will have their bar mitzvahs at the Wailing Wall. Mm. Um, so like, like Thursday, literally, I kid you not, I was watching this tour guide. It was awesome. Thursday is bar mitzvah day. So if you're going to do a bar mitzvah on, at the Wailing Wall, it's on a Thursday. Okay. Um, and yeah, I was like, that's interesting. I mean, I guess that keeps it from like being overly crowded every day. Yeah. I mean, um, it's pretty crowded, but right. that, that probably does help if you just do it on that one day. So everyone knows like this is what's happening. Right. So if you don't want to run around with a bunch of 13 year olds at the Wailing Wall, don't go on a Thursday. It is separated um, by um, gender, so men pray on one side, right. women pray on another side. I do not believe there is a combined section, so you kind of have to go to your respective area, and yeah. When you go to the Western Wall, your head has to be either covered by a hat or by they have kippas or yarmulkes um, that are like there for people to use, um, and that's just as a sign of respect and like. Re- recognition of god lots of famous people have been to the wailing wall like practically every president in recent memory has been to the wailing wall i think it's a thing that you do when you go to israel jerusalem and jerusalem yeah jerusalem is the working capital of israel (laughs) and the kiss i'm sorry (laughs) no knesset their governing body, all of that is there. So I, I imagine when you go, when an American dignitary goes to Israel to visit the government, that's probably where they take them. It's like the most Jewish thing you could do. The fourth site is the Church of the Nativity. This is located in the city of Bethlehem. And this is a church that is built on the site where Jesus was supposedly born. And 
It is owned jointly by the Greek Orthodox. That's the main building and the furnishings. And then the Armenian uh, have some Apostolic. say. Yes. And the Roman Catholic churches also have a say in this, or like in some of the territory. But it's the oldest continuously used place of worship in all of Christianity. And it contains a grotto reported to be the location of Jesus' birth, which is true. So you go into the church. I've been here as well. You go to the church and you go inside. Um, it's an active church, if I recall. So there's some, like, yeah, uh, there was, there's a room that didn't really have a lot of stuff in it. And then there's also places where, like, actual worship happens. But the real stuff is downstairs. And so you go downstairs and it's this, it's the whole building of stones. So you're in the stone basement. And the room is actually very small. It's maybe four by six. Like, it's pretty small. Uh, maybe It's probably a little larger than that. But there is a star <laughs> in the ba- It's a little off center of the room, but there's a star. And that is a spot where Jesus was supposedly born. That specific star, <clears throat> according to some historians, was the cause of the Crimean War. Um, so right before the Crimean war, that star was stolen. And then that set off this crazy war with the Russians. Wow. Um, yeah. And those three, um, face the Greek or Greek Orthodox, Armenian apostolic and Roman Catholic churches are the three main, um, Christian organizations that are involved in this status quo relationship. So most of those sites that I listed, above or the above goodness gracious you're not reading you're listening um when uh, most of those sites that i listed that we've mentioned in our list of 10 those are sort of managed by those three churches um and so like the greek orthodox church they like actually own the main building and all the furnishings at the church of the nativity and so like the only thing that the Armenian Apostolic and Roman Catholic churches own there are like a few outbuildings and their actual monasteries. Mm. Okay. Which I thought was kind of interesting. And this is the place where monks fought over or fought with broomsticks. No, oh, for cleaning. That makes well, sense. Well, it's very well cleaning. It's very tense space. I mean, not when you're there, but I can like, it's an important place. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So that's the church, of the nativity moving on. All right. Number five on our list is the Dead Sea. Um, so the biggest, where is the Dead Sea in relationship to Jerusalem, Jay? Mm, it is outside of Jerusalem. It touches both Jordan and, well, does it touch Jordan? I believe, because I've been on the Israeli side and on the uh, Palestinian side. But I believe you can also go on the Jordan. It is side. to the west. It's to the of west. Jerusalem. Or the east, my bad. I don't know I don't know geography. Yes, it's to um, the, it east, the east. And so you can access it from uh, the Israeli side as well as the Jordanian side. But it there's a section that also touches the oh well, I would say a mass so it's like all of it hits Jordan. About mm-hmm. two thirds of it hits the West Bank, and then there is the one-third on, on that side that also touches mm-hmm. Israel. Yeah. Um, so the Dead Sea, if you're not familiar, is this inland lake, technically, 
um, that is so salty that nothing lives in it. Um, and it's also, conveniently enough, a great area for um, preservation of archaeological things, such as paper goods, which are typically not um, preserved in at archaeological sites. And so if you've ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, that's why we're talking about the Dead Sea. Um, so there's a community, an ancient Israelite community um, called Qumran, which was sort of uh, was created by this group called the Essenes. Um, and they are kind of like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, they're just a different group. Um, and this was during the Second Temple period. And they sort of had this kind of apocalyptic idea or millenarian, like basically the, the end of the world is coming, basically, or that the second coming of, or that the Messiah is coming. Um, and they had this idea that they were sort of predestined to be of God's chosen people being the Jews. They were the most chosen, if that makes sense. Um, to put it very simply. Um, and they were, from what we can tell, a massive community of scribes that maintained an even bigger library. Um, and so in the late 1940s, there were two teenage shepherds that were out chasing a goat, and they couldn't find their goat. But what they did find is a cave that was full of, that had a bunch of jars in them that all contained lots of different scrolls and manuscripts. And so I forget exactly how it, this ended up becoming a big archaeological thing, but the, the main point is the fact that over or roughly 900 manuscripts were discovered in caves, in that cave and caves around it, um, and in the sort of vicinity of this community called Qumran, which is one of these Essene communities. Um, and... The, why this even matters, why anyone even cares about the Qumran, uh, the Qumran scrolls, or the scrolls or the Dead Sea Scrolls is that these um, manuscripts contain fragments of almost every book in the Hebrew Bible. Um, they included an entire um, version of the book of Isaiah, and they also contained writings in Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. So the Dead Sea Scrolls basically allowed us from the late 1940s on to today to compare the, those books in the Bible to texts from the time period in which we think they were written um, to see how much has changed in translation over time. Um, and so that is a very cool sort of thing that you can go check out. You can actually go to the Qumran, uh, the community or the archeological site of Qumran and see the actual community and the actual cave where they found him is like right next to it um okay so moving on to site number six which is masada which is an area outside of jerusalem in the desert this was king herod who christians will know of from the story of jesus but king herod was a roman I don't want to say plant, but he oversaw the Jewish population during mm -hmm. the Roman Empire or Roman, yeah, when the Romans ruled the area. And I believe he was Jewish, but wasn't really, yeah. or had Jewish connections, but like 
Jewish people hated him, so he wasn't liked at all. But he had a fortress outside of the city. And so during the, there had been some wars and revolts. Uh, when after the Romans came and just completely destroyed the second temple, one of those rebel groups fled the city and they went to the fortress of Masada and were there fighting with the Romans. And then on the eve of the battle, the, of the last battle, they decided that it would be better to die by their own hand than to succumb to the enemy. So they all committed suicide. And you can actually go out to Masada and see this fortress. It's still there. Um, and it's a place that people go and tour. But that is the importance of Masada. And then we have number seven. Cave of the Patriarchs, or Abraham's tomb, actually is located in Hebron, which is in the West Bank. I've been here. I will say I have not been to Masada, but I've been to the Cave of the Patriarchs. And so this is what? kind of a, a contentious area because it's located in the West Bank, and which is Palestinian territory. But there is also a Jewish settlement there as well. So the Jewish settlers live on a hill at the top of the city, and then at the bottom of the hill is where the Palestinian population who's been living there forever. Uh, there is like a lot of tension between the two groups, so there is a lot of security measures in place, which is all I'll say about that. But the Cave of the Patriarchs is important to both communities, so it's regulated. <laughs> Um, Fridays, no Jews, or yeah, Friday, for on Fridays, no Jews are allowed to go to the Cave of the Patriarchs because that is a holy day for Muslims. I do know that starting at sundown on Friday is when the Sabbath starts for Jews, but they are not allowed to go at all on Fridays, but they can go on Saturdays. And then the other days of the week, I believe, are split between the two, so they're never in the place at the same time. But in this uh, holy site, I guess, because it does serve as both, it has traditionally been a mosque, but it also serves as a synagogue because of the settlers that are now there. Um, it contains what is believed to be the tomb of both Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And so you can go and actually see like mm, the the tomb, I guess, itself. You don't actually get to go in, but you there is like a marker there where you can see and like this is the tomb of Abraham. Next to is the tomb of, of Sarah. And it's a actual working place. People go there to for religious purposes. So you have to cover up and all those things. But you can see the tomb of Abraham and the tomb of Sarah and the cave of the patriarchs. All right. You want to do number eight too? You're on a roll. Number eight is Baji, which is the mansion of Baha'u'llah, the founder of the Baha'i faith. This is actually where he died. So he is buried right next door to the home, but this is where he lived and did a lot of his last, the writings in his latter years, I believe. <clears throat> and you'll notice that in uh, Haifa is where the shrine and all those things were, but he was living over in in Acre, so or, that's why his body is not there. It's at his mansion because that's where he died, and the rule you have to be buried within an hour of where you were, of where you died, sorry. 
So that's basically what it is. It is a holy site. It's not one of the most holy sites, I believe, but it's a holy site that Baha'is take pilgrimage to after they've gone to the Baha'i Gardens in Haifa. And you can go and see, I'm not sure if you can actually tour the mansion itself, but you can go and see his tomb. Okay, so the next one, number nine, is Capernaum. Um, So this site is, while Jesus is, when you think of Jesus and you think of places, you probably think of Bethlehem, you think of Nazareth, maybe you think of Jerusalem. But Capernaum is actually probably the place that you're the most familiar with without actually realizing you're the most familiar with, Um, if you're a Christian, that is. Um, Capernaum is actually the location of many of Jesus's miracles and a lot of his ministry. So all of his Galilean ministry was done in and around Capernaum. Um, This is also the location where he met several of his disciples, including James, John, Peter, Andrew, and Matthew. Um, So as you can see, John and Matthew became authors of several of two of the gospels. Um, So they're obviously quite important. Um, I think, have you been to Capernaum, Jay? Uh, yes, it is right outside of the Dead Sea in the sea, like the Sea of Galilee is close to the Dead Sea. And so on the way you can go to Capernaum and there is a Greek Orthodox church there That's right. or yes. monastery, I'm sorry. And so you can, the monks like walk around. So I haven't like been inside. <laughs> the monks we, walk around and do <laughs> monkey things. Um, so when I was in, I took a, I went to Nazareth. I wanted to go to Nazareth and in the guest house that I was staying at, there were these two women across the hall from me. We were the only people on our floor. And so I would see them every day. And they were, I don't remember if there was breakfast at the guest house or how we ended up interacting, but we were talking and they, they were German and they had rented a, a car. And I told them about how I was going to take the bus to the Dead to Galilee, I think. And they were like, oh, we have a car. We're going to the Dead Sea tomorrow. And I think it's on the way. So we'll go spend the day at the Dead Sea. And then we can drive to the Sea of Galilee. And I said, okay, cool. So we did this. like, And then we ended up picking up some hitchhikers from Denmark on the way. It was quite a time. But we went to the Dead Sea. We went to the Sea of Galilee. We drove by. And then as you're driving through, there is that m- monastery at Capernaum. And so... That's and we stopped and we took some photos there and then we drove home. So that's it was totally unplanned, but that's how I ended up going to Capernaum. The last one on the list is Jericho. So Jericho, if is after Moses dies, because he's not allowed to go to the promised land, Joshua becomes the leader and actually leads the Israelites into Canaan or the promised land. And once they get there, they have to conquer some land or attack some enemies and the, one of the first places that they are do this is in Jericho and it's be, believed that they made the walls of Jericho fall down uh, so that's what Jericho is most known for I just think of it there's a song I remember singing in, in middle school where it's like well I'm not going to sing it but the lyrics are like Joshua fought <laughs> the battle of Jericho Joshua fought the battle of Jericho Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Um, so that's kind of the context. I'll let you say more in a second because I know that there's something that you want to say. But the Jericho is 
almost at sea level or very close to sea level. It's it's very far down. It is extremely hot in Jericho. And when you're driving there to get into Jericho, there's like almost a 10 degree difference <laughs> between where you start and then when you end up in Jericho. So it's super, super high. It's very low. You drive down. Uh, but there you can go and it's a very small place. I remember there being like a historic site and then right across the street there is a gift shop and there's probably more to Jericho but it was the summer it was hot we didn't want to stay there very long (laughs) so that is Jericho but what did I know there's something that you want to add about Jericho yeah so basically just to add on about like the story of Jericho and so essentially the destruction of Jericho in the book of Joshua talks about how the Israelites under Joshua's leadership, paraded around the city of Jericho for seven days, carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And this is basically at God's command. And um, they, after those seven days, um, Joshua told them all to shout at the walls and blow their ram's horn trumpets, and that that would destroy the walls of Jericho and destroy the city of Jericho. And according to the book of Joshua, it did. So those are our 10 places. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for sticking with us through our first season. Again, we are going on a hiatus while we will be recording episodes that when we come back, we will have a more regular schedule. Also, feel free to email us. I will say that, uh, several of my friends listen and they're too lazy to email. So they ask questions, (laughs) uh, to me both in person and via tech. So one of my friends suggested that we do a question episode. She really wants to get to know the two of us better. I mean, she knows Ooh, me, yes. but like from a academic standpoint and why we're doing this. And so she thought that it would be cool if we did a question episode where people could get to know us. So if people send us questions, either through text or email, or you can tweet at us, then we will do a question episode and just answer your questions. And they can range from like, what do you want to know about us? What are we doing now? What do we like to do? What did we study? Why did we study? Like all the things related to religion, or about us personally. We are totally down for that, but we need you to send us questions, so do that. And then the second question or request that we got, which I don't even think I told you about this. Oh. This is from my friend Michaela, who currently resides in the UK. So is helping us grow our UK listening listens. Um Okay, so she says, um, recently for work, I've had to go to the Middle East, North Africa region quite a bit, which is exciting. And obviously, as a woman, I'm always given travel guidance on dressing modestly to be respectful. But modesty and dress means different things across the diaspora. And the idea of women covering their heads exists in other religions, too. Mm. But it's always sort of a political issue when it comes to Muslim women. So I'd like to know the intersections between gender, modesty and religion. She did go on to say that she realizes this is a very broad question that she's asking. And obviously, we're not going to write a full dissertation on this. But if we could provide any insight on where this comes from, because it seems like it's a religious thing, but perhaps more cultural. To which I said to I said that we'd be I asked for us and said we'd be more than happy to look into it. So I guess I should back up and say the question is: What's the intersection between mm-hmm. headwear and religion, and is it religion or cultural? And so I said that we would look into it. Yeah, I also said that because um, there's a question of like what's religion, what's culture, 
And the general response is always kind of, to me, mm-hmm. is please draw the line between religion and culture. I think you will find that it's very hard in most cases to find the distinction between what is distinctly religion and what is distinctly culture. They often blend together and or are mm-hmm. the same thing. I will yep. say what I said to her that yep. 99% of the time, I do believe that it is very hard to distinguish between religion and culture. But I do think there are moments when you can distinguish. And the example that I gave was Christianity in India. Christianity in India versus Christianity in America look drastically different. That is cultural, not religious. So I say that to say, Mm -hmm. we will try our best to look into headwear and what's happening in the Middle East versus in other religions. That in itself could be a whole episode, but it's going to take some time because that is quite expensive as Michaela indicated. So that may be something that we do in the next episode or the next season, or in the future, stay tuned. But we will definitely look into religious headwear between religions and what influences are cultural versus religious. Please send us your questions. We will answer them on the air. Yeah. Um, be what else do we have to say? I don't think I have anything else other than to thank people for listening. Well, again, thanks for listening. We, I cannot tell you how exciting it is for Jay and I to look at the number of our listens go up where we are always looking at that and seeing what episodes are popular, what you guys like, what you don't like. Um, so again, reach out to us in person. Don't let us just have to interpret numbers. That's difficult. I'm not a numbers guy. I don't like doing that. So just email us and say like that episode was awesome. (laughs) But, um, other than that, tell your friends. Tell your family, send them to our podcast, and come back for season two. Sounds good. So we'll see you. Um, I would say in the meantime, we one of our goals is to be better about our social media. We're really good around the times when we do an episode, not so much in between. So we're definitely going to try to be more active. And I think yeah. one thing that we can do is by the time that you see this, you should see a bunch of articles. Ryan found a bunch of really interesting things related to the topics that we've recently talked about. So I feel like we can definitely put those out on Twitter and you know you can read more about some of the things that we have been discussing in the last two episodes. But email us at religiouslitpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at religiouslitpod. And you can follow us on Facebook, which is, I'm not even looking at it, so I don't know what our Facebook thing is. Religiously literate. Just religiously literate. religiously literate. And as always, you can catch us on all your favorite podcast listening platforms. So do it. And we will see you sometime in 2020 for season two.